So church, once again, we are now in the second week of ours in this new message series we're going through together, which we are calling Understanding the Gospel. God rescues us by grace through faith. And as a reminder, in this series, what we're doing is we're week by week going back and forth from the Old Testament then to the New Testament to see throughout the whole Bible how the overall message is essentially the same. And that's that God is God and and he's the rescuer and deliverer. That we're made in his image, but because of sin, we also now genuinely do need rescuing and deliverance. But, But the good news is that the loving, living God has provided the solution to what we need by his grace alone. Meaning we do not deserve it, nor do we merit it ever. And then finally, because of what God has done, we simply trust him. And then because we trust him, it only makes sense to love him and live for him. And so that's our message series. And last week we saw this gospel of grace in the Old Testament in the story of the Syrian commander Naaman and how he was healed of his leprosy by God's humbling grace alone. And now this week we'll be in the New Testament in this famous parable from Jesus about this Pharisee and this tax collector. And concerning this parable, in brief, what Jesus does here, like with our story last week with Naaman, so Jesus here similarly talks about someone who really thinks highly of himself and trusts in himself. But unlike the Old Testament story with Naaman that we covered last week, Jesus doesn't then here, though, talk about that person genuinely humbling themselves and trusting in Jesus, although that can happen. Instead, in this parable, Jesus introduces us to another type of person altogether. And this is someone who in themselves is really messed up and knows it and basically has no deserving or impressiveness to offer to God. And yet, as we'll all see this morning, Jesus' radical point here of this parable is, and yet, it is that person who, yes, isn't so moral or accomplished or deserving or has anything to offer to God, but it's that person who actually ends up being declared okay and right in the end. It's that person who truly becomes aligned with the living God and with what's true and good and beautiful forever. It is not the one who does so much and seems to have it all together and looks impressive. It is really the one who humbly looks to God. But we'll talk about that more later and why that's the case. But anyway, so that's where we are this morning. But all that said, before we then dive in here together, that then brings us briefly to our outline, though, of how we'll go through this passage this morning, our outline. And so to see what Jesus is saying here, we're going to go through each verse here, of course. But we're going to have three sections together as we do so, three sections. And as for what they are, first, we'll actually just start by asking, what's the overall issue here in this parable? Meaning, what's really going on? What's at stake? Why does it matter for you and me? And for this, we're going to look at first, we're going to see how God's word opens up this parable in verse 9, and then also how Jesus ends the parable in verse 14. Because by looking at those two bookends, we're going to see why Jesus is saying this parable to us. So we'll do that first, which then second will lead us into the parable itself, where we'll start in verses 10 through 12, and we'll see the first option of what you and I can be like, and that's the option of genuine humility and embracing the gospel, and that's amazingly exemplified in this this, uh, uh, tax, excuse me, that's the example of not being humble, that's the example of rejecting the gospel of Jesus, of exalting self, and that's exemplified in this Pharisee, which finally will lead us to the third section where we'll see the other example, the better and truer option of genuinely humbling ourselves and embracing God's mercy exemplified in this tax collector. 
So anyways, that's where we're going. In summary, three sections. First, what's the issue? What's at stake? Why it matters? Second, the first option of exalting self and not embracing the gospel. And third, the option of humility in embracing the gospel of Jesus. But all that said, church, let's then dive in and begin our first section. And here again, we're going to look at the introduction and the conclusion to this parable in verses 9 through 14. And again, we're asking, what's really the issue here? What's at stake? Why does this matter for you and me? And so to begin on this, we'll start in just verse 9. Just verse 9. So look down at your Bibles. And so to open up this parable, God's word says this to us. Just verse 9. He, that's Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So now before we actually talk about that verse, just really quickly, for this whole first section of ours this morning, I just want us all to keep in mind two phrases, two phrases. And these two phrases aren't technically found in the Bible themselves, and I know they may sound confusing at first, but I do think if you keep these in mind, it'll be helpful in understanding what's really the issue here and what's going on and why it matters. And the two phrases are number one, subjective or internal feeling and thinking, stick with me, compared to number two, objective and outside of me reality. Subjective feeling and thinking compared to objective reality. And again, I know that may sound confusing at first, but they are really helpful to explain what's going on and what's at issue in this parable. Because to begin, notice here what's going on in verse 9, just verse 9. Because Luke, the historian here, inspired by God, tells us why Jesus even ever told this parable. And why was it? Well, apparently, Jesus told it to some who, quote, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And there's two things going on there. Lastly, in the verse is that these people treated others with contempt. And all that basically means is that these are people who look down on others, which is very common. That's what's going on there. But, as you can see, that's bad, but that's mainly here a symptom of a deeper disease going on. And what's that? Well, it's that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And now, what does that mean? Well, here's where that first phrase I mentioned a second ago actually comes in. Because really, whether you come from a Christian background or not, or whether you personally trust in Jesus right now or not, I know we all approach religious-sounding phrases like trust in themselves or righteousness, that word, with baggage concerning what they mean. But to simplify it, here, what's going on here is simply means that these are people who when they think about if they are right and okay, right, in this universe, with themselves, and especially with the God if he exists who created this universe and created them, they think, yeah, they're fine, they're okay. And why? Well, ultimately, because of themselves. They trust in themselves that their rightness, their okayness is the case. And here's then where that first phrase I mentioned earlier, subjective feeling and thinking comes in. Because what we need to know about this first option here is subjectively, the person who's like this could be feeling and thinking that they genuinely are okay and right. That everything's fine. And in this parable here, in this context back then, you probably already know it, the person here especially feels that they're fine and right with God. With, with God that that rightness is true. And so this is a religious trusting in yourself, but I hope we all know, in general, this applies to any sort of trusting in self, religious or not. Because again, the point is, these are people who know that, sure, something's off about them. 
right? They know that they aren't perfect. Every single human being on this planet will admit that they are not perfect. And they know that not only have wrongs been done to them, but they've done wrongs to others and perhaps even to God. And so they feel that. We all do. But then, when you boil it down, what's ultimately going on with this person is they take all of that, but then they think that because of who they are or because of what they've done, they're ultimately okay and right and even with God. And then they think that their big issue has been solved. And again, they genuinely can subjectively feel and think that. And Jesus knows so many people, perhaps the majority of people in our world are like that. Religious or not religious. And that's why he's telling this parable. Right? And so that's verse 9. You see it. That's the introduction to this parable. But now that leads us to actually skip ahead to verse 14, how, we can, how the Bible concludes this parable. Verse 14. So after verse 9, Jesus obviously tells the parable. We'll spend some time in that in our second and third sections. But then after that, to conclude the parable, Jesus ends like this. And just so you know, he's here talking about the tax collector and not the Pharisee who trusts in himself. And he says this in verse 14. I tell you, I, Jesus, tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So now quickly on that verse, the most important thing I think that we all here need to know is that that word justified, you see it there, is the same exact root word as the word righteous from verse 9. It is the same exact root word as righteous, but just made into a verb. And this is just where English is honestly an unfortunate language to translate this into because the only reason verse 14 justified looks totally different to us than the word verse 9 righteous is because there is no English word for to righteousness someone or to be declared righteous. It just doesn't exist. Instead what we do is we take the words just or justice and we turn it into a verb to justify. But either way, in the original language, when Jesus is saying this, in verse 9, that righteous is the same root word as justified in verse 14. And now, why does that matter? Well, because that means the point here now is, in verse 14, if you're following along, from Jesus. So in verse 9, people are trusting in themselves that they're righteous, and they may subjectively feel that they're fine and okay, and even aligned with God and what's right. And yet Jesus now says in verse 14 here, and yet objectively, They aren't. You see that? They might feel that way, but actually only this tax collector is declared okay and forgiven and aligned with God and what's right and true and beautiful forever. And again, that's where that second phrase I mentioned earlier, this idea of objective, outside of me reality comes into play. Because I know at first that might seem a little bit heady to you, but I do think it's helpful because now with verses 9 and 14 covered, we can now start to see What is really going on? What's the ultimate issue? What's at stake here in this parable and why it matters for us? And why is it? Well, basically, all of that said, this parable is being told by Jesus in history to answer the biggest issue with all of us. And that is the issue of we all know deep down that we are not right, that something's off with us and all human beings. And if God exists, which he does, we all deep down know that we're probably not right with him just by default on our own either. And so the question really is, well, what do we, what do we, what do, we do about that? Right, that what do we do about that? And Jesus is telling us here, essentially there's only two options. Two options. Number one is this thing where you may subjectively feel and think that you're okay and right, But ultimately, it's based on because of who you are. And it's trusting in yourself. 
Or as Jesus adds in verse 14, you saw it. This option is ultimately going on to exalt yourself to such a degree where you convince yourself that because of who you are, I mean, you're fine. That's option number one. And let's be clear, so many people, again, most people probably in our world really do this and subjectively feel that, religious or non-religious people, because this is making one's life mainly about trusting in self. It's relying on everything you do and accomplish to feel like you're making up for all the things you know are off about you. But Jesus is warning us, but if you choose that, yeah, you might subjectively feel that you're fine because of your works and yourself, but objectively that won't be the case. You won't be in reality okay and right with God and aligned with what's true and good and beautiful forever. So that's option number one. But then as for option number two, as counterintuitive as it may seem at first, right, as counterintuitive and strange as it is to look outside of ourselves for something we know is some going on inside ourselves, yet Jesus is saying here it's the second option which doesn't just only lead us to feel subjectively okay and right, but it's the only one which leads you and I in actuality, in reality, with God to be declared forgiven and okay and right now and forever. All right, so church, that's, that's our first section. I know that maybe was a lot, but I hope you're seeing that's quite important because in summary, that's really the issue here and what's at stake. And practically then, that's why this does matter for you and me, every one of us, because the truth is we know we're not okay. We're not totally owned and just right on our own. We all feel that. And so again, what do we do about that? And let's be clear, this is technically not a religious question. This is a humanity issue in question. We're all like this. So, so what do we do? And in basic, that's what the gospel's about. And that's what this parable Jesus is about to tell us is going to be about. So that's our first section. Which finally now leads us into the parable itself. Spend some time in our second and third sections here. And for here now, in our second section alone, we're just going to begin by looking at this first option. And this is the example, again, of exalting and trusting in self, rejecting the gospel, all exemplified in this Pharisee. For this, we'll be in verses 10 through 12 again. So what we'll do now is we're just going to read those verses to start, and then we'll talk about what Jesus is saying. So look down your Bibles, and remember, being told to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, which leads Jesus to say this, verses 10 through 12. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. So we'll stop there for now. So there's a lot in there, a lot of words, that this Pharisee is saying about himself, which is significant already. But to break down the, everything that's going on there concerning this Pharisee, so this is obviously Jesus' example of trusting in yourself. And in this example, we basically see three things that this Pharisee does. Three things as he's trusting in himself. Two of which are pretty expected if we were to consider trusting in ourselves. And one which is definitely a little more unexpected. And you'll see what I mean. So three things with this Pharisee. Number one, one of the things he clearly does here is he compares himself to others. He compares himself to others. And you can see that most specifically in verse 11 where he says, quote, I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. All right, end quote. And that's significant not only because there's clearly such pride there, but even more important, especially for you and me in here to consider, what's significant is that, think about it, even if we usually or people usually aren't the type to say something like that out loud, 
at least thinking along those lines, almost goes with the territory if we're ultimately trusting in ourselves. It really, it really does. And really, let's realize we all do this to a degree, but also let's realize if you are ultimately trusting in yourself, almost always that comparison has to become a pretty big part of your life. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because if the biggest issue in our world and with our lives is our not rightness that we deep down feel is true, we just sense it, if that's true, then what's the one thing that every one of us could do that could perhaps make us feel that we're at least a little more right in the end? Well, we could start comparing ourselves to others. You see that? It makes so much sense. We compare ourselves to others, and especially in things where it's like, man, I know I'm not like that, so I'm a little better than them. I must be all right. And in short, that's exactly what this Pharisee does, and we all naturally do that apart from grace. He trusts in himself by comparing himself to others. He's exalting himself and looking for peace in that way. That's the first thing the Pharisee does. And that's typical and expected in a way. Which now leads to the second thing he does, which is also somewhat typical and expected. And this is now how he focuses on what he does and what he accomplishes. What he does and he accomplishes. That's trusting in himself as well. And for that, we see that specifically in verse 12, where he says, quote, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And just, for, just so we know, what's so interesting about those things is that they are not bad or sinful in themselves. And in fact, tasting and tithing are, are good things. And, and not only th- that, but this Pharisee here is actually going above and beyond what God ever said to do concerning fasting and tithing in the Old Testament. And so all this can seem good, right? It's, it's good to do well and have accomplishments. There's, not accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with that in our world, in your life. And yet, the point is, what really is incorrect and off and not in accordance with reality about those things is if then you're trusting in them for your rightness and forgiveness and okayness, especially with God. Or what's often not right is taking those things and making your life basically about them, right? To solve what you know is really wrong within you. And again, this is really so common as well. And it's to be expected because so far with this Pharisee, if you will, we kind of have trusting in yourself 101. Trusting yourself 101. Because what would it look like if someone, maybe people in this room, really rely on themselves? Well, number one, it would be comparing yourself to others a lot. Because that helps you make you feel okay. makes you have more peace about yourself. And number two, then it's looking at what you do to make yourself feel okay. Because again, we all know something's not right. And so what's the solution? Both the typical religious solution and the secular solution because they're essentially the same here. What is it? It really is. Just consider it those two things. Feeling you are a good enough person when you compare yourselves to others. And number two, focusing on all that you do. But finally, that's not even all that Jesus says here about this first option, this Pharisee in this parable, because that now leads us to the third and last thing that this Pharisee does here. And this is now the more unexpected thing in some ways. And this is number three, how he doesn't only trust himself, compare himself to others, and focus on what he does, but amazingly, he does it all while talking to God and even thanking God. (laughs) Talking to God and even thanking God, meaning on the face of it, he himself does not think he's trusting in himself. But he says this is something where he's really thanking God. And here's where this parable of Jesus' was so radical back then, but it still also is today. Because let's be clear, 
basically almost everyone in the world, and all of us naturally before we know Jesus, everyone understandably does numbers one and two that the Pharisee does here, comparing ourselves to others, focusing so much on what we do in our accomplishments. That's just, that's just natural, and it's unfortunate because it doesn't actually work. It doesn't make us objectively forgiven and okay with God or who we were meant to be forever. But still, that, that's understandable, those two things. But what's even more shocking about this parable, and what should make each and every one of us in this room this morning really pause, is that Jesus is clear that back then and still today, this trusting in yourself can and often does happen in the name of God, even in the name of Jesus. Someone can be outwardly saying such seemingly good and right and God-glorifying things, but all the while, really be trusting in themselves and making it about themselves. And quickly, I'm sure for some of you in here, you, you've definitely seen that. Right? You've, probably, you've probably seen that brand of religiousness. This is, that's all about morals and being better and doing all the right things, all for the glory of God, of course, but perhaps you've noticed it wasn't ever really a humble, genuine reliance on God and Jesus. Instead, it was this. Or perhaps... For some of you in here, you might just hear that and realize that, that, could, that could be you. Perhaps you are starting to see even right now that your Christianity hasn't really as much been about Jesus and God's grace and love and how broken you are in the gospel. And instead, it's much more just been about being moral and correct. But either way, whatever, whether you've counted this before or whether you fear this could be you, either way, the point is right now, we all need to understand and be clear, this moral self-exalting is not Christianity. <laughs> This is not Jesus' way. No matter how much people may use his name or use the word God, this is not Jesus' gospel. Rather, this is just self-trust, but covered in a religious cloak, which in some ways makes it even worse. And so all that said, again, that's this Pharisee. Comparing himself to others, focusing on what he does, even the news in the name of God, but essentially he's trusting in himself for his righteousness. And yet again, remember, the truth is, Jesus is going to tell us this, he isn't righteous. Meaning this person hasn't solved his problem. His greatest problem of not okayness in himself and in this world and especially not okayness with the living God. But instead there is another option. It's the option of the gospel. It's the, it's the option that's not only correct and better, but really it's, it's the real one. It's the one which in reality leads to justification for broken human beings like us. It's the only one that leads us to be declared okay and right with God and what's true and good and beautiful forever. And so what is it? Well, finally for this now, for our third section, we'll see this gospel. And here we're going to be in verse 13, and we're going to see the option that represents humility and truly embracing God's grace exemplified in this tax collector. And so begin on this, let's just look at verse 13. And as you hear this, remember, back then, the tax collectors were the big sinners. They were the ones who were helping the much-hated Roman Empire by not only collecting taxes from the people, but often keeping a lot for themselves. And so this is not a respected person at all. And yet Jesus decides to use this person to get across the beauty of the gospel of grace. And so what about this tax collector? We'll look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So on this, right away, what you and I need to be careful of is not seeing that as mainly negative, or just seeing that as some old school mumbo jumbo in religion. Because it really isn't. 
Rather, each thing this tax collector does and says is significant, and it is Jesus who is using this to show us where, in reality, our solution, our real okayness in this universe, and especially with God, comes from. And so let's break it down. So first, let's focus on what the tax collector does, what he does. And so what does he do? Well, he stands afar off. He doesn't, he doesn't even look up to heaven, and he breathes his breast. And now, what, why does he do those things? Well, those are supposed to be in contrast to the Pharisee who's standing so confidently and praying to God. And so in contrast to that, here, this tax collector is the opposite. He knows how messed up he is, how unright he is on his own, and therefore he even, he even struggles to look up to God. And now let's be clear, the point there isn't that he feels that like God is harsh, that he can't talk to God, and we know that because he talks to God in the same exact verse. Instead, the point is a humility that recognizes reality and who he truly is and that he needs help. And and quickly, just to connect this to last week in the Old Testament, this is similar to what we talked about last week if you were here with Naaman and his leprosy, right? Because think of it this way. The person who is trusting in themselves in this parable is, is almost like a person who has leprosy, but they're trying to heal themselves by their own actions, and they even feel that maybe they're healed because they're starting to scrape off some dead skin, Well, for this tax collector, he's also sick. But he realizes he's sick and he needs external help. And so he's humble and acting in humble ways because of it. And so that's what he does. Perhaps even more important than just what he does is what he says. And what he says is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And now let's, let's just quickly break that down into the three big things there in his heartfelt thinking and praying. Three big things. And as for the first thing, right, you see that in that word that he uses to describe himself. And that is as a sinner. A sinner. That's how he defines himself right here. And again, this is crucial because let's be clear, that does not mean that this tax collector now all of a sudden thinks that he's a nobody or that, you know, he's not made in God's image anymore or anything like that because those are true as well. But rather what it means is that when it comes to this huge issue of being okay and right, especially with the living God. When it comes to this issue, he knows. He can't ultimately rely on and trust in himself because he knows concerning himself, he's not the answer. He knows he's really messed up. He's, he's a sinner. He's, he's over and over missed the mark. Because remember, that's just what the biblical word in the original language is sin meant. He's, so he knows he's a sinner, and so he's missed the mark. He's not the solution. All right, so that's the first thing we can notice he says. And I know for, for our culture today, right, let's be honest, that word sinner may just sound to some people like so religious and perhaps even offensive. But church, I just want us all to know in this room, in itself, it, it isn't. Rather, technically, this is not in itself just a religious word, but it's a word that just has the meaning of missing the mark. So it describes us and our experience. It's simply true because there is a good and right way, a mark that me and you were designed to live like God. We know that. There's, there's objective right and wrong, good and bad, beautiful and not. And we miss that all the time. We go off from that way all the time. And so in reality, this this tax collector is just correct. We are sinners and sinful ourselves. And so that's the first thing he says. That leads to the second thing. And this now is seen in that word merciful. Merciful. And now this is important because in basic, mercy is just treating someone better than they could ever deserve. And specifically, treating someone better than they can deserve while that person realizes they're in suffering. That's mercy compared to more general grace. And the point here then is, that's what this tax collector realizes he needs. He feels it. He knows he's suffering. He knows he can't do this on his own. And so he cries out for mercy. 
But not only that, but just so you know, very interestingly, and I didn't know this until this week, but in the original language, Jesus here actually doesn't use the more general word for mercy. He could have, but he didn't. Instead, very interestingly, Jesus here more specifically uses a word that only shows up two times in the whole New Testament, two times. And it's the word for mercy, but even more specifically, it is talking about someone treating you better than you could deserve by making atonement for you. Or really, by removing God's right justice and anger that he has because he sees your sin. That's mercy towards you. And long story short, if that sounds confusing, all that means is that then, therefore, now we know that this tax collector isn't just having this undefined cry for help. Instead, this is a specific call where he realizes he isn't right. But because God is real and God has seen everything that goes on in his heart and his life, therefore, if he's going to be helped, he knows it must be that same God who in his love comes as the merciful one and does something about all the wrongs he's done. He must atone, as we now say in English. Right, so those are two of the three things that the tax collector does in his heartfelt thinking and prayer. He's a sinner. He needs mercy and atonement which transitions us smoothly to the last, and that's now just focusing a little bit on that first word of his, God. All right, God. And now, what's so fascinating here by Jesus, as you can all see it, in this parable, both the first option and the second option, Pharisee and tax collector, their first words are actually the same exact word. God. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God. The tax collector, beating his breast, says, God. And so they're both saying God, and yet what's the difference? Well, here's where we start to see the gospel. Because concerning the first option and trusting in yourself, he didn't, he didn't get the gospel. Meaning, sure, he was using God's name, but he was mainly do it for, doing it for his own self-righteousness and okayness based on himself. He did it basically out of just self-reliance. Meaning, for a person like this, their main thinking, just kind of default, is, it is it's about me and, and what I've done and, and how good I kind of am. And I'll make something of myself, especially when I compare myself to others. And then sometimes people like that can also add the thing, and yeah, God, thank you for all of that. that that's what's going on in the first option. And that's all of us by nature. But then again, on the other hand, this tax collector is really different. <laughs> and how? Well, because he honestly knows he knows reality, meaning he knows the truth that, that's a, that he's a sinner. He knows he needs mercy. He, he can't trust in himself for his okayness, his justification. And for him, that's all why he's talking to God. It's a very different reason. He's talking to God not to tell God about who he is and how great he's done. Instead, he is talking to God because he knows that this God is someone who can forgive him who can show him his needed mercy. In other words, he knows he's messed up and he's trusting in and relying on God. And what's the result? Well, God responds and answers. Jesus tells us that because as we talked about already, it's the tax collector who then is justified. His unrightness is dealt with. Not in that he is sinless from here on out. Just to be clear, that is not the gospel of Christianity. But his solution to his biggest issue now and forever has been found and resolved in God's mercy and forgiveness. It really has. Well, again, for the person who's trusting himself, that doesn't happen. Or really, just so we can see it again, how Jesus says it. Look at verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And really, church, that is the gospel of grace. That's good news, brothers and sisters. We shouldn't and we don't need to exalt ourselves. 
Rather, we are declared okay and justified with God and then aligned with who we were meant to be forever by not relying on ourselves, but by looking to God for mercy. And specifically, let's be even clearer, we now know that this comes to us not just by generally looking to God for mercy, but by looking to the same Jesus who taught this here and who then went and showed God's mercy in his life, death, and resurrection. Right, that is why, if you want to think about it, why God can even be merciful to us. Because consider, when this parable was actually given by Jesus, the full gospel hadn't been shown yet, right? Because as for how God could be merciful, and as for how far God would show in order for him to be merciful to us, that actually hadn't been fully revealed yet. But now it has. Because the same Jesus who taught this went and lived, died for sin, rose and promised he's going to come back. Which really does mean for you and me, the good news is we do not look to ourselves and our doings. Instead, we really look to Jesus alone. We trust in God alone, his grace alone, displayed in Christ. And finally, what's the result? Well, again, as Jesus says here, and as he showed us in his perfect life, death and resurrection, if we trust him, God is certainly willing, certainly willing and able to give you and I the mercy we need. And then we are forgiven and declared right and okay with God now and forever and we're aligned with who we were always meant to be. And so that's our passage, church. And really, that is the gospel of grace shown in this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Which now briefly, as we just start to come to a close, leads us to just touch one final time, one final time in that last sentence that Jesus says here to conclude this parable, the final sentence. Because we've covered this whole parable, but I want to focus on just one last thing in here in this last sentence as we close. And so, I've read this a few times, but this is how Jesus concludes this. He kind of adds this, so I want us to conclude this way too. So look one last time, the last half of verse 14. Jesus ends the parable by saying, because for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so if you're following, right, Jesus says that because that's the overarching principle of this whole parable. Again, it's about making sure you don't trust in yourself, which basically means exalting yourself. And instead, we need to be, we need to know who we are in reality and be humble and low enough to rely on God's mercy. Hopefully we all get that by now. But the one last thing that I want to focus in on as we close is actually that word will that Jesus uses twice here in that last sentence, will. And if you remember, we as a church actually saw Jesus do this in the Sermon on the Mount as well. But notice that here again. Jesus doesn't just say this sentence technically as a principle, but he also puts it intentionally in the future tense. Meaning he could have said it with is, making it a principle only, but he says it in the future tense with this idea of will, making it a promise from Jesus of what will happen. Will be humbled will be exalted. And now why does he do that? Well, in basic, it's because for everyone in here then, we finally therefore this morning need to know that yes, what we just covered is a parable. And yes, that humble exalting thing is a principle. But also with those wills, Jesus is even even more so saying that this parable is a mini picture of what is happening right now, right? With people like you and me who either can trust in ourselves and reject the gospel or embrace the gospel of Jesus. But especially these wills are Jesus saying that this parable is a mini picture of what he promises will take place in the future. You see that? It's a promise from Jesus Christ here at the end that this will take place. Which means for you and me first, that is then a challenge to us 
if we are living our lives trusting in ourselves, religious like the Pharisee or not, because this final promise is a loving warning from Jesus to us that yes, we may subjectively feel and think that we're fine and okay with God by relying ourselves, but one day in reality, not just some religious sense, but in our history in reality, one day that sort of thinking will be humbled. That's just what Jesus says. That's a promise, a loving warning from Jesus here. But then on the other hand, the encouraging thing of this final sentence is, and also though, Jesus promises one day for those of us who do trust in him, who yes, might seem so small and low now, like the average Christian in this big world, like all of us as Christians, as we know how low we are when we still struggle with sin, Jesus is promising one day that what is humbled will really be exalted. Meaning for those of us who by God's grace have humbled ourselves and, and realized we're sinners and broken, we have already been exalted in a sense in that we are already right with God and truly forgiven. But then also, church, take heart. One day, we will be even more so exalted. Not meaning that it will all of a sudden be about me and you and that we'll want to like worship ourselves or anything like that, but instead meaning we each will be lifted up restored back to who we were always meant to be as human beings with such an ability to love God and to love one another and live and create like him with him and with one another on a renewed earth forever. That's the exalting that's coming. And church, one last time, we get all of that not because of us or because how good or religious we are, but because of the gospel of how God rescues us and shows us mercy and makes us right with him by Jesus and his grace alone. And so for you and I, let's believe that. Let's keep humbly trusting Jesus for all of it and let's be thankful and then follow Jesus because of what he's done. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, church.